Welcome to Shabbat Shalom. This is your host, Sam Frankart, and this is episode 47. This week, I am away in Georgia, and I'm at a camp. It's called Camp Southern Grounds. Um, I should be able to give you an update next week about it because I'm just releasing this a little bit early since I am at camp all week. I'm super stoked about it. Um, it is a camp that's owned by the Zach Brown Band, and they put on different camps throughout the summer. This one is specifically for veterans, and I'm just super stoked to be at camp and learning and ahead of time they had me take two different personality tests the enneagram and then the strengths finder and so yeah i'm looking forward to this time and just yeah to learn and grow the focus of the camp is all about transitions and so it's supposed to be military members transitioning out of the military and into civilian life and for me that's partly true because I am transitioning out of the military I ended in May and my transition is to Nepal so I'm stoked and just really anticipating what the Lord is going to do and teach me and show me at this camp so that is the reason why I am not continuing in the study on the book of Revelation and instead sharing with you a sermon that I preached at Ferrysburg Community Church. So this one is called Dressed in Righteousness, and it was part of a sermon series that I did with Pastor Nate, and I preached this on April 28th, 2019. So check it out, and we will hopefully pick up with the study in Revelation next week. So as you may know, um, I'm in the Army National Guard, and I joined when I was down in Texas, and part of being in the Army National Guard, there's a lot of different organizations that are there to support us and bring us together in community, and one that I ran into when I was down in Texas is called Team RWB. It stands for Red, White, and Blue. And so this is a national organization, so when I moved here to Michigan, I found another group to get plugged into when I moved here. Um, so Team RWB, you know that the people who are a part of this organization, um, that the people I've run into at least, they're caring, kind, generous, and, and they're just really about being active and loving their community. There's a shirt that we wear that has the eagle on it, and I know that wherever I go, whether it's a race or if we're getting together for a community meal or something like that, I know to look for the eagle, because um, the eagle is what is representative of Team RWB. So we have the same values. We have the same commitment to fitness and community. I know that the people who are wearing the eagle, that's what they value. As we read through Colossians 3, 1 through 17, the idea of taking off the old man and putting on the new man is central, and that's what we'll be focusing on today. Just like I'm able to identify other members of Team RWB by them wearing the eagle, Christians should be able to identify other Christians um, based on the features that reflect the character of God. These characteristics identify who they are and what they believe. As we study these verses, we're going to look at what it looks like to take off the dirty rags and dress in new riches. So let's jump into the text. We're going to look at it in different sections, beginning with verses 1 through 4. Um, so we're going to read, I think this is out of the NASB. 
Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The author of Colossians is Paul, and he's writing to Gentile believers in Colossae. He begins the beginning of chapter three with the words, therefore, if. And these two words tell us two things. First, every time that we see a therefore in the text, it means we have to look back and see what is the therefore, therefore. And so looking at that, we look back into chapter two and we see that this is pointing to verses 12 and 20, where Paul reminds the Colossians that they died to this world and are alive with Christ in his baptism. Secondly, we see that Paul writes that little word, if. And this clarifies that everything that's about to follow in these verses is directed to a certain group of people. If you have been raised up with Christ. So we know that he's writing directly to believers. To get a little bit more technical, um, this word is linking the doctrinal section of the letter with the practical. So what we're getting into now is the practical. How do these believers live out this life in Christ? So for the rest of this sermon, if you are a believer, tune in. These instructions are for living a Christian life. If you're not a believer, you're either welcome to tune out um, or you can listen to what people who call themselves Christians, how they're called to live. So let's continue on. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And let's stop there. Do you notice in these two verses what we're called to do, set your heart and your mind on things above. We generally, generally think of the heart as the place that houses emotions and desires, and the mind, our thoughts and our intellect and our knowledge. So in these two verses, Paul is commanding believers to place their emotions, desires, thoughts, intellect, and knowledge above not here on earth. And you're probably hearing this and thinking, yeah, Sam, that sounds great and lofty, but how do we live that out? Um, And my thought and my answer for that is that it's a process. Um, But a good place to begin is with eternity in mind. This has to do with a shift in our perspective, a shift from our focus being on us and our current situation to God and what he desires. So a secular person who might also be spiritual, and by that I mean that they might pray, um, might only ask for things that benefit them, such as, God, give me an A on this test, or God, get me into grad school, or God, give me this promotion, or God, take away this sickness. But a person whose heart and mind are set on the things that God desires ultimately wants what God wants and what his desires are. So we ultimately want God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. This doesn't mean that we don't pray for our desires. It just means that we're not consumed by them. The desires of the redeemed should be and must become that of the Spirit of God. We need to have our hearts and our minds 
set on things above. Verse three, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You may be reading this and thinking, what? What is Paul talking about here? I'm not dead, my heart is beating, I'm breathing, when I pinch myself, it hurts. What does Paul mean? Commentator Albert Barnes explains this verse really well. He says, you are dead to the world, dead to sin, dead to earthly pleasures. We are to be to them as if we were dead, and they had no more influence over us than the things of earth had over Jesus in the grave. So as Christ followers, if we're dead to sin and worldly influences, what does our life have to look like? I wanted to join the army when I was in high school. Um, My dad was in the army before I was born. He was a chaplain's assistant for three years. And as I was growing up, he would always tell me, Sam, join the army, Sam, join the army. And so for a while, when I was in high school, I really thought about it. And then my friend joined. He was in 11th grade, and so in the summer between his 11th and 12th grade year, he went off to basic training. He came back, um, and I remember a group of us getting together, and he had his yearbook with him. And in his yearbook, it's like pictures that he has from his time at basic training. And we're flipping through the pages, and he says, here's a picture of us standing in formation and getting yelled at. Oh, and here's a picture of us doing push-ups. And here's a picture of us coming out of the gas chamber. And I remember when he showed me that picture, all of my hopes and dreams of ever joining the army were gone. I was absolutely terrified of the gas chamber. I remember thinking, well, I'm never going to be a soldier. I was just overcome with fear of the gas chamber. The idea of walking into a room filled with poisonous gas that could kill me, I just wasn't interested. Fast forward six years and I joined the army. Um, I went to basic training and as you might have guessed, week two, they said, all right, soldiers, we're gonna go down to the gas chamber. And that fear that I had when I was in high school came rushing back over me. I was sure I was going to die. I'm not even kidding, I was sure I was going to die. So we, we walked down to the gas chamber, we're sitting in the bleachers, and we're seated there, and the drill sergeants are briefing us, telling us what's about to happen. And I remember just sitting there and praying, dear God, thank you for my life, it's been awesome, um, I've really enjoyed everything you've given me and all that you've shown me, and man, just having this, this what I thought was going to be my last talk with God, I was absolutely, I mean, until, you know, I died. Um, that'd be more awesome because I'd be with, I'm done, okay. So yes, I'm talking with him. And then, um, yeah, they have us line up and we put on our gas masks and we're not in the chamber yet. Um, We're just lining up and making sure that our gas masks work. So for those of you who don't know about these, um, if they're, like if we were over in a time of war and there were gas bombs or something that were dropped, we'd have eight seconds to put these on. After eight seconds, you're considered a casualty. So we have eight seconds to make sure to get them on, clear them so that you can breathe through them. Um, And so everyone in my line was able to do that. And then they said, all right, we're going. And I remember my heart pounding walking into the gas chamber. So we walk in, and as you might imagine, I did. I thought it was going to be a room full of green smog. So when I walk in, and you don't really see anything at all, I'm thinking, oh, why why was I so scared? Like, maybe maybe they're just joking with us. Um, So... I thought there must have been a mistake. They had us line up shoulder to shoulder against the wall, 
And they came down the line and had us each test our gas mask, put it on, put it back, take it off, put it back on. And I still didn't feel anything. Um, and then they had us start doing jumping jacks and high knees. And then I started feeling this pain at the back of my neck. It was like a stinging, burning pain, like a, a whole herd of bees. Herd isn't the right word, but you know what I mean. Bees came and just stinging in the back of my neck. Um, and I was thinking, this is the end. This is it. Um, so we just continue doing high knees and we're, it, the burning just gets worse and worse. And then the drill sergeants come by and they tell us, all right, now we need all of you to take off your gas masks and recite the Soldier's Creed. And so the Soldier's Creed is a rather long statement and we waited until the very last soldier had taken off his or her gas mask before we could begin. So we take it off and we say it together, I'm an American soldier. And at that point you're taking in a huge breath and your lungs get filled with a CS gas and it cannot say another word. And you could hear people all around you just coughing and spewing. And at that point they tell us, go, go, go. And they push us out of the gas chamber. So we come out, our nose snots all running down our faces and they have us go like this because the CS gas can get connected to the clothing, the fabric that we're wearing, um, and it just stays inside the clothes that you have on. So everybody is walking out of the gas chamber, flapping their arms. People, I didn't puke, but some people were puking and just not, and everything running all over. So yeah, the CS gas adheres to the fabric, and it can have effects on the wearer after that initial exposure. So after I, I was gone in January, and I went through this again that second time when I was there, just a couple months ago, and this time, instead of having us just do the flapping when we got out of the gas chamber, they told us just to take that uniform and throw it away. They said they didn't want us to have to deal with that burning, stinging pain of gas over and over again. And thinking about this experience, when I got back to my room after the gas chamber, I took off that uniform, I threw it away, and I put on fresh, clean clothes. And when my friends called me up for dinner, to go out to dinner later, I didn't say to them, well, hold on just a minute, let me put on my uniform that's all filled with gas, and then I'll go out to dinner with you. No, I'd thrown that uniform away. I wasn't about to put it back on. It would be painful. And I knew I wanted to go out in fresh, clean clothes. So let's look at the end of verse 9 into verse 10. And I like how the Amplified Version explains it. It says, For you have stripped off the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new spiritual self who is being continually renewed in true knowledge in the image of him who created the new self. So we see that the old self has to be taken off before the new self can be put on. We have to take off that old, nasty, gas-filled uniform and throw it away and then put on clean clothes. What are some examples of clothes that you need to throw out? What are some of the attributes that belong to that old self? Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And verse 8, Paul continues with this list. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self, 
with its evil practices. In this list of 11 things that Paul is telling the believer to put to death, he focuses on sexual sin, idolatry, and sin that happens in the form of words and attitude. Paul tells the believer to put these things to death. Don't baby them, don't act like they're okay, put them to death. They have no place in the life of a follower of Christ. And rather than living as we used to live, we're called to take off those old ways of living and clothe ourselves with righteousness. So how do we do that? Is it simply trying harder and then when we don't see improvements, beating ourselves up? No. This requires us to submit to the Holy Spirit, asking him to guide us and strip us of our old selves, asking him to move in us and move us into what he is creating us to be, and then helping us to put on the riches that God has designed for us. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Something important to point out here is the first part of this verse. We are God's chosen people. He has chosen us. We did nothing to earn his love and acceptance. We are holy and dearly loved because he calls us holy and dearly loved. It is in this position of grace that we are called to dress in righteousness or in right ways of living. With his help, we're able to take off the old self with our old ways of living and clothe ourselves with the characteristics of the new self. We do this as a response to grace. It doesn't earn our salvation. There's no way to earn our salvation. Jesus already paid the price in full for us. When I taught high school English in, te in Texas, we had our state testing towards the end of the school year. And this was a point of anxiety for a lot of the students as well as administration. We had a history of not doing so well on the state tests, and so we really knew that we had to make it a big deal for the students to do well. So a week before the test, we had an all-staff meeting where they reminded us of three things that they wanted us to tell the students the day before the test. They said, make sure that you get a lot of sleep, that you eat a big breakfast, and that you dress as though you're going to church. I understood the first two, but that third one, I didn't really get it. So I looked into the psychology behind it. There's a study published in 2012 by the Journal of Experimental Science called Enclothed Cognition. In this study, they did three different tests to try to figure out the psychological processes of what clothes do to the wearer. So in the first test, they had 58 undergraduates who were randomly assigned to either wear a lab coat or to wear regular street clothes and then they would give them different tests that would test their cognition. So an example of this is they might show them a screen where the word said red, but it was actually in the color green, and then they'd have to write down if they saw the differences between what the PowerPoint was showing them versus what like, their brain originally thought that they saw. So they had to write that down, and those who wore the white lab coat made about half as many errors on those trials as those who wore regular clothes. 
So they see this and they decide, all right, well, let's do another experiment. So at this one, they have three options. So there's a person wearing a doctor's coat, a person wearing a painter's coat, and then a person who is in regular street clothes. And once again, it's a group of college students, of 74 college students. And they were given a picture, and it was two pictures that were side by side, and they're trying to find four differences between the picture. If you look really hard at this, I found four of them. I'm sure there's probably more. Um, but they were shown this, and they had to write down the differences as quickly as possible. And those who wore the doctor's coat, which was identical to the painter's coat, found more differences. They had acquired heightened attention. And those who wore the painter's coat, or who just had on regular street clothes, found fewer differences between the images. So in this study, the researchers found the influence that clothes have over the wearer's psychological state. When the people in the study wore a doctor's coat, or what they were told was a doctor's coat, they acted more like a doctor. So clothes invade the body and the mind in different ways. Having the students dress well was important because then they'd feel better about themselves and they would be able to maybe get a leg up on those others who are taking the state test. Maybe this is why Paul relates how we should live our lives how, we should, how our lives should look by what we put on. If I'm dressing myself in compassion, kindness, and humility, I'm choosing to represent Christ. However, if I dress in vulgar language and greed, I'm representing the world. So when Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, and humility, he's describing who we are and the new life that we have in Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, this list should describe you. We are to clothe ourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. We have these characteristics because of Jesus, but I sometimes struggle living them out. And when I'm struggling, I need to look to who I was before Christ and see if there's anything in that old person that needs to be put to death anything that I haven't killed yet. And I want to challenge you to search your heart. Do you lack compassion, kindness, or humility? Is there an area of your life that you haven't surrendered to God? Ask Jesus to help you deal with that area because that's not part of who you are in Christ. Let's continue out in this passage. So verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. In these verses, do you see how God or how Paul is instructing us to grow? He doesn't tell us to pray, even though praying is important. He doesn't tell us to come to church, even though that's important too. But he specifically says to teach, admonish, and train one another through song. A.W. Tozer writes about this in his book, The Purpose of Man. And I wanted to read you um, just a section of what he wrote here. He says, I must confess that I am an ardent lover of hymns. In my library, I value a collection of old hymnals. Often, on the way to an appointment, I'll grab one of these hymnals to read and meditate. After the Bible, the next most valuable book is a hymnal. 
songs are powerful. More powerful, I think, than we give them credit for. Songs can speak truth. They can bring us to tears and say words that we didn't even know that we needed to hear. But they can also have a negative influence on our lives. Have you ever heard a song on the radio and it got stuck in your head and then the very next morning you wake up and it's still stuck there? What we listen to impacts our hearts. And Paul here is urging us to teach and admonish through song. The new man walks in the word of God and in worship with other believers. So we see what the old man looks like, and we see that Paul is calling us to take off and throw away these things that belong to the old man. We also see how we're called to live, what we're called to clothe ourselves in. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because you represent Jesus to the people around you. What you say, how you say it, how you live your life, you are Christ's ambassador. So how do we live this out? First of all, you need to remember that your choices reveal what you're wearing. When you fall into sexual sin or rage or, or catch yourself lying, you need to call it sin and kill it. Then you need to walk in forgiveness knowing that that's not who you are in Christ. Making these choices show who you are. Which leads into the next question. Who will you identify with, the world or Jesus? Just like when I put on my Eagle shirt and I can identify with other members of Team RWB, someone wearing clothes of the new man can identify other followers of Christ. When someone sees you, what do they see? I have two final questions for you that I wanna challenge you to answer throughout the week. Number one, what do you need to take off? And number two, what can you do to live as the new man? As we finish, I'd like to pray for us that you're able to put this message into action in your life. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you um, that you have created us new with Jesus, that we no longer have to live in the ways of the old man, but we have put that to death. And God, I pray that you would help us to be able to live in that truth this week, that as we represent you to the world, uh, that we would be able um, just to walk in who you created us to be. So God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this new life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me. So next week, I am going to be sharing with you, hopefully, um, out of Revelation 13. So I hope you will come back and join me on the podcast. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. I love studying and doing this. And so I just, I appreciate you being part of it. As always, you can reach me on Instagram at Sam Francart. And until then, Shabbat Shalom, Maranatha.